Amen. Thank you. Patrick, good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 2. We're still looking at the goodness of God. We've seen the goodness of God as demonstrated by His creation. It tells us that God Himself is good, and all that God made was good. And when He made us, uh, He proclaimed us and everything that He had made very good. And so we know the goodness of God is expressed in his creative work that we saw in the first chapter of Genesis. We move now into the second chapter where the focus becomes more specific. Most of us are familiar with Sherlock Holmes, at least many of you of my generation, because many of us read the books uh, and uh, perhaps uh, maybe even have seen a movie or two about Sherlock Holmes with his faithful companion, Dr. Watson. And you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes always had a keen ability to observe even the smallest things in order to solve a, a mystery or a crime, but um, what most people may not be familiar with, unless you've read some of the books about him, is that he was also a firm believer in deduction and observation as important to the faith, as important to, to one's uh, belief. And so in the story of the adventure of the Naval Treaty, Holmes is found by Watson just simply studying this rose. And Watson's kind of amused by it, and he just watches, and Sherlock uh, Holmes just continues to stare at the, the rose, and Watson narrates, he says, he walked past the couch to an open window and held up the drooping stalk of a moss rose, looking down at the dainty blend of crimson and green. It was a new phase of his character for me, for I had never seen him show an interest in natural things. Holmes said, there's nothing in which deduction is so necessary as in religion. Our highest assurance of the goodness of providence seems to rest in the flowers. All other things, our powers, our desires, our food, are really necessary for our existence in the first instance. But this rose, it is extra. Its smell and its color are an embellishment of life, not a condition of it. It is only goodness which gives extras. And so I say again that we have much to hope from the flowers. <laughs> I think this can be said in the, in the scriptures as we look at the second chapter of Genesis about God and what he did in making a garden and what he did specifically in the garden. Because God made provision for mankind, for Adam and, and also his soon-to-be-made wife. But God's goodness, as we saw last week, is shown in his creative work. But in our passage, this creative work is more specific and just simply looks at things God did. I think, to be honest with you, I think he did it just because he's good. Had nothing to really do with necessity, but just simply the goodness of God. So let's look at that together as we look at this passage. We're going to pick it up in verse 8, Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, and looking through verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, we find these words in God's Word. The Lord God planted an orchard or a garden in the east in Eden, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil were in the middle of the orchard. Now a river flows from Eden to water the orchard, and from there it divides into four head streams. 
The name of the first is Pishon. It runs through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is pure. Pearls and lapis uh, lazuli and are also there. Now the name of the second river is Gihon. It runs through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and maintain it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely, uh, may freely eat fruit from every tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a companion for him who corresponds to him. And the Lord God formed out of the ground every living animal of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man named all the animals, the birds of the air, the living creatures of the field. But for Adam, no companion who corresponded to him was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was asleep, he took part of the man's side, closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we examine it more closely. I pray it will be your Holy Spirit who will open our hearts and minds to your word, to the message you would have for each of us as individuals, collectively as a church. And Lord, that uh, you would give us that wisdom, that insight, that understanding that allows that to happen. But also, Lord, the discernment, the need of our own lives in light of your word to, Lord, just simply enjoy the fact that you are indeed a God who is good. But Lord, moreover, to trust your goodness and trust you with our life. And Lord, to know that you will always provide for us, that is your promise, that Lord, you will always give to us what we need if we seek your kingdom first. And so, Lord, help us in this moment in time to just simply look at and just simply learn even yet more about your great goodness. And, Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, may they know that the ultimate expression of your goodness was shown in the great gift of yourself as you became flesh and dwelt among us, as you willingly suffered and died on the cross for our sins, that you were buried but you victoriously rose from the grave, ascended to heaven and one day lord you will come again but you will enter into the hearts and lives of those who will by faith both believe and receive you today do your great work in this place we will praise you for all that you do in jesus name amen so in this passage of scripture a couple of things i'm just going to point out to you this morning first off notice that god's goodness is shown in a garden we talked a little bit about this the other sunday night because one of the ways the church is described in 1 Corinthians is that the church is a garden. The fact that God has people in the church to do certain things that make the church a garden. There are those who plant, as Paul said, he planted seeds. He came in to plant the gospel. Then Apollos would come and water it. And then God would give the increase because God is a gardener. He's the ultimate gardener. and He wants the church to be a garden that produces the fragrance of Christ, produces fruitfulness that produces all that's necessary for people to come to understand and know who Jesus is, what he came to do, what he can do for them in their life. So 
We had a little bit of that the other night. But this morning, just focus on the fact that in this wonderful creation God made, and remember this is before the fall, this is before the flood, this is before great drastic changes happened, the whole earth was a wonderful, beautiful place. You and I could have landed at any point and place on earth after God first created it and looked at it and said, this is a garden. This is good. Everything about it was good. Everything that God had made was as it should be. So we could have, we could have gone anywhere in the earth and, and looked at it, and to us, it would appear to have been a garden. But no, God wasn't satisfied with that. He made specifically a special place that we call the Garden of Eden. He made a place so that he could enjoy his fellowship and his companionship with Adam and later with his wife Eve. He planted a beautiful garden. Now it's interesting about the name Eden because the word Eden in Hebrew literally means delight. And again that tells us a little bit about the goodness of God because God delighted in making things that are beautiful. He delighted in making a place that was extraordinarily wonderful to be in. And so he didn't just create this beautiful earth, but a special place, a garden, a place of beauty, a place of bounty, a place where everything that one could ever hope for or need was there. The beauty of the garden reveals the goodness of the gardener. And the bounty of the garden reveals the goodness of God as our provider. Now notice that the trees that God made, see it's kind of like the rose that uh, Sherlock Holmes admired. God made trees, and he made trees that were good for food, but he made trees that were pleasing to the eye. Notice what it says. They were, um, in verse 9, uh, the Lord God made all kind of trees grow from the soil, every tree that was pleasing to look at and good for food. Now, you know, today there are some trees that are pleasing to look at. I, I tell you, I look forward to the spring when red buds come out, when dogwoods are in bloom. Uh, I love to see all these different uh, trees that began to put out these beautiful, beautiful flowers, and, and I'm particularly attracted to those that smell good, you know, uh, whether it's a honeysuckle or whatever it may be. I, I love those. Now, there's certain things that when they bloom, I'm not looking for it at all. We have neighbors that have those pear trees that don't produce pears. They just produce flowers, and I'm going to tell you something. They stink. They're pretty, but they just stink. I hate when they come to bloom. I mean, it's just you just want to go inside. It's just the odor's bad, and and there are certain things that, uh, that are like that. But when I think about God making these trees in the garden, every single tree was beautiful. Every single tree was, was the way it should be. You know, today we have storms. And, and you know, the, like the other day we've had thunderstorms and limbs break off and trees blow down. And, and if you live where I lived in Florida growing up where hurricanes and tropical systems came, well, you've got a lot of gnarly, ugly trees. Why? Because over time, tops have been knocked out. Uh, half a tree gone, uh, limbs breaking, splitting. So the trees aren't nearly as beautiful as they should be. In fact, they can be ugly and gnarly sometimes. But in the garden, there was no storms. There was no tornadoes. There was no hurricanes. There was nothing like that. There was nothing whatsoever. The trees were just the way they were supposed to be. And they were beautiful. And those trees produced what was needed for food, many of them. Two of the trees, though, were extra special. Tree of life tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, gave life to those who ate from its fruit. And I'm thankful that at the end of the Bible, when all is said and done, God's yet again going to have a tree of life. He's actually going to have trees, 12 trees, uh, that produce fruit and all, all year round, and we're just going to get to enjoy that. And it's, it's, gonna, it's just going to be such a blessing to be able to be restored to a place like Adam and Eve had at the beginning 
But the tree of knowledge of good and evil was going to bring death to anyone who ate of its fruit. Something else in this garden I want to point out real quick before I get to the heart of the message. And that is, notice the rivers. There, there, there's a headwater. It flows through the garden, waters the trees, waters the garden. And then it breaks into four heads. And, and uh, that's an interesting thing. I've actually been in Israel where if you get to the foot of, of Mount Hermon and you go to Caesarea Philippi, you see these little uh, streams that are coming out from the mountain. And as it comes out, it's actually from snow melt and water coming through the mountain coming out. So you have this <clears throat> little narrow stream that comes out and then after that it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and it empties into the uh, sea of galilee then it flows on down to the dead sea as it goes down as what we know the jordan river but this particular stream broke into four parts and i love the fact that uh, when you see the names you may not recognize what the meaning is but in hebrew it's an interesting thing because this water was a significant part of the garden and as it flowed through it then broke up and the, the thing that is, when it broke up, it became something spectacular. See, the word pishon in Hebrew means gusher, and gihon in Hebrew means spurter. So you have the gusher and the spurter. You have water, and you don't just have water. You have water in abundance. In other words, God made it so that it wasn't just like water just barely trickling out. This was water that was coming out in, in an unbelievable fashion. Can you imagine the scene? If you're... Adam and Eve, and you're walking through the garden, and you come to the headwaters, and you begin to see this abundance of water, because water is essential to life. And water in the garden was abundant. So it's just another picture of the fact that God provided in the garden a special place where food was in abundance, uh, water was in abundance. Why? Because of the goodness of God. He provides. And He doesn't just provide miserly or meagerly he provides in abundance again we have a beautiful picture of that in the new testament jesus feeds the five thousand and he's just got such a small little lunch to work with but with god that's 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 nothing he takes that multiplies it feeds the five thousand and then there's food left over why because of the goodness of god the abundance that he provides in fact jesus said it himself he said i have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. God is a God of abundance. That's why we know God is so good as it relates to his creation and in the making of the garden. And of course, along with the trees and the river were all the other vegetation that provided Adam and Eve with everything they needed. They had absolutely no need for anything. Listen, in that time, there was no need for, for grocery stores. There was no need for people to plant a garden because God had planted a garden that was the garden above all gardens. There simply was everything you'd want. Can you imagine what a tomato in the Garden of Eden tasted like? I raise tomatoes because I want them ripe on the vine and they taste greatly different than the store. I like to have uh, cucumbers. I like to have other things that are right there readily. I know how they were grown. I know what they're about, but but, you know, I, I think, what would that have tasted like? What would it, you know, I, probably, I hate bananas, but I think I could eat them in the Garden of Eden. And I was in the Philippines, they gave me bananas, and I thought I was going to die. But I took a bite, and it was actually quite good. Why? Because they had let them ripen on the tree. They didn't pick them green. You know, go to the grocery store, and you see green bananas. You already know that's not going to taste right. But they ripen on the tree, and when you eat them, they're quite different. Same thing with pineapple. Same th I, don't, I don't usually eat raw pineapples, but when I was there, when I was in Peru, and they cut me off a pineapple and ate it, 
It was as sweet as it could be. You know why? Because it ripened on the plant. Can you imagine what these things tasted like in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> Can you imagine how wonderful they were? Why? Because of the goodness of God to provide. And the goodness of God and, and the gardens are tied together in other places in the Bible as well. When I think about this, by the way, there's one other thing uh, that I almost passed over, and that is the animals. God brought the animals to Adam and Eve, and, and I, can you imagine having your own personal zoo without the bars, without the fences? Now, you know, you go to the zoos like we've done with our kids. Uh, you know, they're behind cages. They're behind glass. They're, they're separated from you. Why? Because they will eat you. But in the Garden of Eden, that, that line would come up and, and Adam could pet it just like it was a kitty cat. Scratch it behind his ear, it'd probably purr. Lion, tiger, didn't matter. Bears, wolves, whatever thing you can think of that we would normally be scared of. Well, Adam just sat there and named them and played with them because of the goodness of God. God's goodness, though, is shown in the fact that he does favor gardens, not only with the Garden of Eden, but later a garden called Gethsemane that our Savior loved to go to. Not a spectacularly beautiful place at all. In fact, anybody that's ever been to the Garden of Gethsemane today and looks at what olive trees look like, all gnarly and everything, I can't imagine that any of us would really have thought that to be a beautiful place, but Jesus did. It's interesting to me that when he was crucified, he was buried, and the Bible says, and there was a garden nearby. In other words, our Lord's body was placed in a place that we wouldn't find particularly spectacularly looking. But for God, it was an important place for His Son to be buried because there was a garden nearby. And then the Bible, as I said at the end, speaks of a garden that God is yet going to restore us to. And why? Because it reflects the goodness of God. It's extra. It doesn't have to be, but God does it because of His goodness. But that wasn't enough. The Lord saw that man was not yet complete. It was God himself in verse 18 that said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a companion for him. Who corresponds to him? Who, who can be the right kind of companion? Listen, Adam was kind of like Tarzan. He probably had his chimpanzee. He had his favorite, whatever. But it wasn't enough. God knew it. And in the goodness of God, God said, I'm going to do something really spectacular here. I'm going to take a rib while he sleeps, and I'm going to make him a companion. And of course, he made woman. And by the way, it's in Hebrew. You don't read it in English, but I can tell you exactly what Adam said the first time he saw Eve. It's called, wow. And probably the next thing was, Lord, you did a good job. I don't know what you're thinking, but thank you. Because it was necessary that God make a companion and God knew exactly what to make and how to make and who to make. And the Lord God made a woman from Adam and brought her to him. And by the way, that's a beautiful picture too. Because the Lord brought her to him. <laughs> now I've got to remember in the Garden of Eden, God's making appearances. He's, he's physically there walking with them in the garden. Okay, so can you imagine after all that's been already created all the wonderful things God has made, all the animals God has brought to Adam, 
that that day he brings Eve. He says, I want, to, I want you to meet somebody. <laughs> somebody who's going to compliment you. Somebody who's going to come alongside and be your companion, your partner. Somebody you can share all this goodness with. And he brought Eve. And folks, that's what God does in our life. He gave us the capacity to have relationships, friendships with one another. Created us as believers to have fellowship with one another through Jesus Christ. But, but regarding family, he brings us that special person into our life. And we have our siblings, we have children, we have nieces, we have nephews, we have cousins, we have all. Listen, I've been blessed. My family is by far not perfect, especially you get farther out from my, uh, the farther out you go, the weirder we get. I'll just say that right now. I love every one of them. But the reality is God's made us have this ability to, to have these relationships. And the kind of relationship a man intended, a God intended man to have with a, his wife, the intimacy that they can share. There's three types of intimacy I always share with people who come to me about to get married that I hope and pray they'll have in their marriage. Uh, the physical intimacy is a given. It's it's, uh, it's what brings people together, but there's also emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy that couples can share together in their journey and their walk with the Lord. And, and God fashioned us to have all three types of intimacy with our spouse, but also we have this intimacy with God. And, and He made us this way because of His goodness. He could have made us just a higher form of an animal. But he chose to make us in his image, and he chose us to have this capacity to do things that animals really can't do. Listen, animals are special. I, I, have, a, I have been blessed to have dogs that love me more than anything on this planet. Really. I've, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, you want to know the, how, the, how much a dog loves you uh, compared to anybody else. You lock somebody else in the trunk and leave them in there for about an hour and then open it up, and you leave a dog in the trunk and open it up an hour later, and guess who's going to love you? You know, I come home, I have unconditional love from, from my little Yorkie. I mean, uh, uh, we got him a little over a year and a half ago to replace one that I'd had for nine years that uh, was my buddy, my companion, and, and I know it's just a dog, but I'm going to tell you something. They provide a wonderful, wonderful companionship. They do. But nothing like people. And nothing like God. This is why it's important for us to have a relationship with God through Jesus. Because we've been created to have this kind of intimacy. And, and, and yes, it's good to have a, a, a spouse. It's good to have a companion. It's good to have family. It's good to have friends. It's good to have church family. But folks, nothing compares to the way in which God fashioned us to have intimacy with Him. And see again, that shows you the goodness of God. What a wonderful thing we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why God made himself known. That's why he became one of us. So we would know him and understand more about God. And, and you know, that's one of the ultimate things we should desire in our life, to know the Lord Jesus, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to know him. Like we talked about earlier the other Sunday night with the Apostle Paul, that you know, one of his goals was, and what I pray is one of our goals for the new year, is to know Christ. 
no Christ. You know, as a Baptist preacher, I say, well, I want you to know more about what it is to be religious. I want you to know more about what it is to be a Baptist. I want you to know more about what it is to be a good church member. I want you to know more about, listen, if, if, if you don't come to know Christ, none of the other matters. You have to know Jesus. You have to know him personally. He has to be your Lord and Savior. But it's important for you to know Christ above all. Just as Adam came to know Eve as, as they built this relationship together that we read about in the Scriptures. By the way, the passage does speak about the sanctity of marriage. The day in which we're living, there's a lot of confusion about marriage. Well, God is not confused, never has been, never will be. God made male and God made female and the two were to be together. That's why the Scripture says that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become flesh. Scripture recognizes no other combination, no other genders, nothing. Now, I know that's troubling for a lot of people today. There's a lot of trouble even in the church pews with a lot of this, but I'm going to tell you something from the very beginning. God said it to be so. God is the creator. And it was, it's a demonstration of his goodness. And everything that's going on today to me is in the face of the goodness of God. And the plan and the purpose that God has for every person. Well, let's move on and I'm going to close. God's goodness is not only in his provision that he made for Adam and Eve by providing their physical needs, as in the making of the garden, the food, the water, the companionship of animals, and the companionship with others. But they went beyond that to meet their deepest spiritual needs because he provided himself. And folks, today I cannot declare to you any better the goodness of God than the fact that he wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you through Jesus that's the whole reason he came it was celebrated at Christmas it's ultimately what he would do as we'll soon celebrate at Easter his suffering his death his burial his resurrection all was done so that you and I could have an intimate relationship with him and beyond that see again here's how the goodness of God is it goes beyond that not just to have a relationship with him but on a day-to-day -day basis, have fellowship with him. And that's available to every person here today. It's my prayer that if you're here today and you've never had that time and place in your life where you can say, yes, I came to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one who suffered and died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that his dying on the cross for my sins and his living again means that I can be saved because of that. And the best that you can know to do under the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life is to respond by saying, yes, I believe and I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want him to come into my heart, my life, and be the boss, the Lord of my life. Why? Because he's good and your life will become good. There'll be a transformation of goodness in your life. There'll be a transformation of goodness in every way that God has provided this for you. And to me, that is the ultimate proof of his goodness. Have you accepted this wonderful gift, this, this great thing that God has done for you, greater than the Garden of Eden? We have a Savior. We have a Savior.
If I had to choose today between living in eternity in a Garden of Eden or living with Jesus, I'll choose Jesus every time. When I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, the thing I want to see is the only thing man-made. And that will be the nail prints in his hands and in his feet and the mark in his side. Not because I doubt and because I'm like Thomas, I have to see that to believe. I just want to see it because it will say forever and ever, Jesus loved me. It will say forever and ever, God is good. That he would do that for me. The God who made the universe, the God who made earth the way it should be and pronounced the good, the God who made a garden of Eden, the God who made the animals as companions, and the God who made Eve for Adam is the God who did this for me. There's no way I'm going to ever question the goodness of God. When I see that, it will be enough. Our Lord is good. He's good all the time. And all the time, He is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we examine this passage, it does speak to your goodness. And all the things it also speaks to, Lord, I pray that above and beyond that, as loudly as it can be proclaimed by your Spirit in our hearts and minds, Lord, you are good. And your goodness was shown to us through Jesus. It is my prayer, Lord, today that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior today as an act and expression of faith, believing in their heart that you did in fact die on the cross for their sins, that you were raised from the dead, that you will, in fact, save them, The Lord, as an expression of faith, they might pray a prayer of faith, something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. Religion will not save me. Being good enough will not save me. Only you can save me. The best that I know how, believing in what your word says to be true. I ask Jesus to save me of my sins to save me from them, to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to come into my heart and make me a new person, a new creation, to make me one of your children, and to help me to turn from sin and help me to live for you. And Lord, I pray for those who'd pray a prayer like that perhaps for the first time this morning. And Lord, during our time of invitation, they'd just slip out where they're at and just come and let us know they prayed such a prayer. Maybe they prayed a prayer like that recently. They just haven't made it public yet. Lord, your word says if we confess you before men, you'll confess us before your Father. But if we won't confess you before men, neither will you confess us. So, Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to make that public, somebody needs to be obedient in the waters of baptism, somebody needs to be obedient in what you have said about becoming part of this family of faith, then, Lord, whatever it may be, even to the re-surrendering of our lives and recommitting ourselves to your lordship then today lord may we make that decision thank you that you're a good god thank you lord that you've expressed that goodness to us 
Now help us, Lord, to respond to that goodness in faith and obedience to you. Have your will and your way in this moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.